What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth from Forbes. Oh, I'm Rebecca Lindland from Rebecca Drives. I guess I'm second now. <laughs> and I'm Sam Bull Samet from Guidehouse Insights. All right, well let's uh, let's jump into it. And uh, Rebecca, you're driving the Infinity Q50 and. The- the Q50 Red Sport 400 all-wheel drive um, that does have a $800 exclusive paint job that is red. Uh, and so, so what happened? I I had planned on going on vacation with uh, my friend Lorraine, her husband Gary, and their four kids. Four of my favorite humans. They're eight to fourteen years old, and so naturally, I asked for a minivan, which at the last minute the manufacturer pulled for reasons that I'm not clear on. And so I got delivered this Infinity Q50 instead, which actually, you know, it's, I mean, it's definitely a plan B. <laughs> so the kids and I kind of talked about it because they were originally all supposed to go with me on this two day drive down to Virginia. And uh, we ended up doing, going with three kids, uh, the oldest in the front and then two of the little ones in the back. It's, it's a five seater. There are five, there are seatbelts for five people. Most cars have seatbelts for three people in the back, but cannot actually accommodate three. This is not human beings. This is not happening. I, yeah, this is not happening. So, so, you know, with, so I had the three girls. uh, And so the, the eight and 10 year old were in the back uh, with all their stuff. I did not realize this is the only sedan infinity makes right now. Uh, well, they you know, the Q70, uh, it's not showing up on their site. Wouldn't surprise me. No, but. you're right. It's not. Yeah. I remember well when Infinity changed to from the G to the Q and uh, Q lineup and renamed, rebranded. Uh, and I remember I was working at Kelly Blubick at the time. And what ended up happening was people would search for the G. And then when it wouldn't come up or only used they just would shop used. They didn't even know that this car existed. And we could tell by the traffic 
that nobody was shopping the Q50 uh, because they wanted the G. And so it was this bit, you know, they, they really kind of fumbled on that whole branding thing, which is unfortunate, but cause this car was great. It was, it was a lot of fun to drive. One of the things uh, that I made note of both in my review and my experience with it is that it has an absolutely enormous gas tank. I, I mean, when I got in, it was, you know, the gas tank was filled and I had like 480 miles of wow, range. Yeah, that's like, so that's insane. Um, what engine did it have? Did it have the? It, it's got the 3.0 liter V6 the twin turbo, turbo yeah. seven speed, uh, all wheel drive. You know, it, it's 400 horsepower, 350 foot pounds of torque. There was there was plenty of power there. It was not great in eco mode, which plays into the size of that of that fuel tank. So I actually ended up only getting 21.8 miles per <laughs> gallon over the course of a thousand miles of which a lot of it was highway. Well, that's not good. And that's not good at all. <laughs> it's not good. I was, you know, so, so my friend was driving his 10 year old Toyota Sienna minivan and he was getting about the same in that minivan. And, you know, we were just really struck by it. Cause obviously we were stopping to get gas. We were driving together and we were probably averaging we weren't entirely on the highway because we really were trying. We had a couple of stops that we wanted to make along the way, and we uh, we w- were trying desperately to avoid ninety five, which is really the only highway route down there. But it was still we were still on some pretty good, very empty back roads. That, uh, and I was conscious of the speed we were going. I would say fifty five to sixty most of the time, and very steady. You know, there weren't a lot of traffic lights. We weren't stopping, and it just. That 21.8, the thing that struck me too is that so on the way back, I drove by myself because they were staying in Virginia and I had to get the car back. So I did go, I went over the Chesapeake Bay Bridge, Route 13, which is a two-lane divided highway. There was commercial, there was times when I was in a commercial area, but Again, for the most part, this was a lot of highway and uh, and the mileage didn't change. I tried to put it in eco, but eco was so restrained that when I went to merge onto the highway, I had nothing. Yeah, you feel like it's I dangerous. Mean, I no, yeah. I, yeah, I was like, I got to get that out of yeah, that thing. Like, why does the car not move? Yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm in this red sports stand and it's not going anywhere. So eco was just not fun. I mean, it wasn't fun and in some ways it wasn't practical. It was so restrained. I did try to put it in that for when I was going through some of these commercial things, but to basically just try and get any kind of improvement in my fuel economy. And I just didn't get it. I mean, it was, it started at 21.6. When I put it in eco mode on the way down, it went up to 21.8 and it pretty much stayed there. It never went above or below, which was, again, over a thousand miles. It's rare that we get to drive these cars that far and have that experience. So, you know, that was, and it's actually rated, I mean, looking at the Mulroney, it's rated at 19 city, 26 highway, 22 combined. And that is, I got 21.8. I am surprised, you know, doing a lot of highway because you know, my um my Volvo S60 was kind of like that abysmal mileage in the in town um a a car that should get better mileage for its size and a big tank i think that car had a 23 gallon tank i think this one has a 20 gallon tank so you could do quite a bit of range um right. but on the highway that car would actually edge up towards 28 or 30 so i'm surprised that it just 
it like you didn't get anywhere closer to the 26 that I didn't get anywhere close to 26. I just didn't. And again, you know, I didn't reset it for the, for the drive back. Cause I really, and, and it didn't have, I couldn't get, it said the trip a, but I could never find trip B. Yeah, but It's actually more <laughs> so, accurate um, <laughs> when you leave the average alone because right. it's, it's sort of like, it's still compiling that average. Yes. Everybody who drives exactly. it before you will affect that average, but you get a truer sort of picture. I actually reset oh, it. So this was my, that thousand miles was my, was, so I, it was, it came with okay. zero. So they had yeah, reset so it. Like the, the course of the trip. The I get it. Um, yes. So it just yeah. shows us your lead yeah. foot. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing is I was following my friend in her minivan. I was not a left foot. I mean, she's not a left foot either. So, you know, I couldn't really, I mean, there were times when we hit 70, but not very often. It was pretty much 60 to 65. But at least you like we given between the Sienna and the, the Q, uh, Q 50, right? See, this, yes. They screwed up their numbers because we can't even get it right. And then the, he went over to Cadillac and did the same thing. Anyway. Uh, yeah, exactly. But, uh, <laughs> I think I would much rather be in the Infinity. It's got a, the the Infinity interiors, especially in the press cars, are really nice. I'm assuming it had like light colored leather and all the fancy wood. It yeah. did. It had white quilted oh, leather. So beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. Would not want to own it. The kids were banned from <laughs> yeah. eating anything and no magic markers. Yeah, and a new pair <laughs> of jeans will make the seat blue. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, leather is actually surprisingly family yeah, friendly because you can wipe it off. Yeah. It just depends on what you're wiping yeah. off, you yeah. know. Um, um, so what, the other, yes. Oh, God, I was just going to ask you what you thought of the infotainment system that dual that dual touchscreen system they have. I, I know they're really proud of it. I mean, there was, <laughs> you know, it's Aren't great. They all, uh, right? You know, it's like, you oh, make sure you to notice this. Executive or designer that's not proud of their infotainment <laughs> system. So, so there was two things. The first is there was no place for my phone, which nowadays yeah. most, you know, there, there was a slot that was the old style coin, you know, it had the felt liner that you could put a couple coins in and there was a cigarette lighter that would have been a good spot for a phone. Instead, we ended up using one of the cup holders, which was a pain. Yeah. I was using Android auto. It connected very well and it showed up very well. However, the sound for the most part, was not through the Bluetooth. I figured out that if I turned off the sound and turned it back on while, while it was connected, that then it came through the Bluetooth. Hmm. So that so that was one thing. The you other mean, was it playing thing, the sound from from your phone speakers? You were controlling it, it on the screen, but it was playing out through your Bluetooth your phone speaker through my phone. Well, that's dumb. Right, that's weird. <laughs> okay, in in order to get it to play through Bluetooth, I had to turn the volume off, like in in ways. I had yeah. to turn the Waze sound off and then turn it back on again. And this happened repeatedly. This wasn't just one time. The whole way down, it never played through. Mm. And then when I was fiddling around with how I was going to get home, I had turned the volume off. When I got in the car, I turned it back on and I jumped about a foot when she came through the speaker. <laughs> yeah, the super loud. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, you're there. Okay. <laughs> so, and then I, I had stopped, you know, a couple times along the way. Cause it was about a, about seven and a half hours home. And so, and I would have to do that every single time. So every time I disconnected it, I would have to turn the volume off, turn it back on again. So the other thing that I ran into issues with was that the phone so the voice control, the voice activated phone would not work when Android Auto was attached. It literally would say to me, so if I pressed the, the voice activation on the steering wheel, 
it would say this function is not available in in your current mode or whatever. And when I pulled up the menu, it would the phone would be grayed out. So I would have to then press the phone thing and go through my previous calls, which was clearly unsafe. Like it was it, so, so there was definitely issues. I, I actually wonder um, if you had connected straight via Bluetooth versus using Android Auto, if uh, that would have given you some of those functions back. There's their new system, like it does. like you say, like it seems. Uh, um, th- they're they're touting it, and it, it's an improvement in some ways, but uh, it seems like it's still got some issues to to work through. All the issues I'm describing, we're using Android Auto with it. The infotainment system itself was actually very, very good. So, uh, and I would use both because again, I drove it a long time. So, you know, the directions were very good. It accounted for traffic. The, uh, you know, the, the audio was very good. So all of these issues were directly related to Android auto was, was using an Android auto. It, again, it's, you know, from a, I use ways for traffic and cops, let's face it. Right. So, <laughs> so everybody. I, right. So, you know, so from that standpoint, it worked well. It's just that there was a couple of things that there were wrinkles, which is very typical for my experience with Android auto in all of these, on all of these cars. So the, you know, the screen itself was fine. I did like the dual screen. One of the things I liked about it was things like you can see the weather, which is very convenient. So there were, there were things, you know, again, especially right now we're waiting for a hurricane to come in the next few days, driving up that coast in that area in Virginia, in Delaware, Maryland, you know, this time of year, you can get really bad weather. And we had some spectacular thunderstorms that fortunately we weren't on the road for, but this, this area, you know, is, is as many of the U S is prone to really dangerous thunderstorms, lightning, things like that. So having the weather there was great. So there was benefits to having that dual screen, but again, my, you know, I, I, I would have loved to have been able to slot my phone underneath there or have a wireless charging pad, you know, things like that. The other thing, so this vehicle so, so the base Q50 starts at 36.4. And then, of course, you add destination, which is like a thousand bucks or something. This, the Red Sport 400 all wheel drive, started at 56,260. But I'm assuming had, the typical like Infinity Way is it has all the packages. It does not. As I discovered, fortunately, Whoa. not the hard way, <laughs> that it doesn't have adaptive cruise control. <laughs> oh, really? Which is a 20. 20- that's that's actually surprisingly common you know on premium cars that they don't include stuff like acc as standard equipment you can you get it as standard equipment now on a corolla or a a camry but not on a lexus that's the weirdest thing it it did not have adaptive which you know I go back and forth on adaptive cruise control sometimes it's useful sometimes it's not but believe me on a trip like this it would have been incredibly useful, especially because I'm following somebody, right? So, you know, Lorraine's driving. She doesn't have, you know, all the bells and whistles. She doesn't have adaptive cruise control. And so her speed would would vary just by a couple of, of miles per gallon, you know, miles per hour. But but it was enough so that, you know, I was constantly kind of coming off a little bit and and playing with that pedal. And 
adaptive cruise control would have been absolutely ideal. So I reached out to Infinity because they were like, hey, how's the drive going? And I was like, well, actually, and it's a $2,700 package. What else does it include? It's offered. uh, Let me look in. I'll look at I'll look it up and see. But yeah, they were like, oh, yeah, that requires this package. So but the crazy thing is that so this vehicle. So I had exclusive paint, as I mentioned, this cargo package, the carbon fiber package for fifteen hundred and twenty dollars. Whatever. Carbon fiber doesn't even look nice. Like. It was if- sixty thousand four seventy five without adaptive cruise. Yeah. I mean, and then of course you don't have all the safety features either. The lane departure warning. Right. I mean, you have. I had a lane departure warning. It had this this weird tiny little, little light. light by the mirrors, and it'll beep at you too, right? Well, it was down. It was down by the by the side mirrors. Yeah. Yes, it, it, it was. Yeah. So. <laughs> so I I pulled up the the Q fifty uh, build and price. Okay. And the proactive package is $2,700. Yes. That's got the direct adaptive steering, the ACC, lane departure warning, blind spot. Um, yes. So it's, it's, all the, it's basically all the ADAS features that you get standard on mainstream cars. I mean, and quite honestly, right? too, like if it's got the oh, directive. Also adaptive front lighting. Yeah. See, that's a lot of crap you don't need. The, 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 yeah. the, the one thing that ruins it, and I'd be interested to see. So your, your Q50 didn't have it. Um, was the the direct adaptive steering? That's the steer by wire, I, I no know. feel nonsense. That's it. Did not have that, so it's probably better for it. That, yeah. Maybe, but yeah, it was just again, you know, looking at this. So this vehicle specs out at sixty thousand four seventy five. That's with that thousand twenty five destination, but. It doesn't have these things. It doesn't have those features that, as Sam says, you're going to get on far less expensive vehicles. So, you know, I, and, and I meant to look this up and I, I, I forgot. I, I don't know when this came out, what year this debuted. It was about 2015 or 16. Yeah. It, was the it current feels, generation Q50. You know, the interior is showing its age a little bit from the fact that it doesn't have a wireless charging pad. It doesn't have that place to put a phone. And I know that we sort of went through this time where it was like, oh, no, 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 you have to put your phone away, you know, and never look at it again. But that's just not our reality. And people, you know, do want their phone there. And, you know, I could have put it in, tucked away in the in the center console compartment. But, you know, needing to do these changes, needing to make this, you know, go back and forth, and um, you know, unplug it, plug it back in. It's, it was just more convenient, frankly. So I never looked at it beyond that, but it was showing its age a little yeah, bit. Yeah, but this is our grape. Like, you know, I, I will get the comment back to us that you, you guys don't like technology or you're, you're cranky old men. And it's, oh no, I, I actually, I really, I like it. But you have to understand from a user perspective, if you're going to make it so that you've got to put the phone away, then you have to make the phone projection system actually work. Like, yes. And yeah. be seamless. And it's it's not there yet. It's not there with Apple CarPlay either. It's it, it They've gotten better. But there are times where I still have to pick up the phone and fiddle with it to get what I want. Yeah. And that's, you know, if you're going to do it, you, you have to commit and make it really good. And I know there's a lot of reasons why we're not quite there yet. But I, I think, you know, the, the two-screen system here uh, didn't bug me when I tried it in the, I think I had the QX50. Um, mm which it has the same kind of layout. Uh, it didn't bug me that much, but 
um, you know, the rest of the car also didn't really make up for like some of that frustration either. You know, it was expensive and that sounds like the same thing, you know, it's expensive. Yeah. So at, at that point it does, how does it drive? Eh, I mean, um, you know, the engine's nice. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming that it probably rides and handles. Okay. But you start to look at the money and you go, I could have just had a BMW with iDrive. Well, and that's the problem is that you or start to get Right. Or a G70, uh, yeah. you know, and that's the problem is that, you know, the sticker price, you look at that and you say, what else can I buy yeah. for that? You know, and I mean, it was, it was a super fun car to drive home. You know, I, you know, I saw a um, brand new uh, seven series and I was like that. And it, it, it blasted. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> no doubt doing triple digits. And, you know, I was like, should I try it? <laughs> but you know, it was, it was fun to drive. So it's a great, it's a great sports sedan. It was a lot of fun. I love the fact that it has all wheel drive standard. It's got those five or six different drive modes, you know, so it was nice. You know, I, I would have preferred in the AM, the uh, Mercedes GLC 43 I had, it actually had slippery mode as opposed mm-hmm. to specific to snow. So, you know, this had a snow mode. It's a hundred degrees down in Virginia. <laughs> so I didn't need that, but a, slippery, <laughs> but a slippery mode would have come in handy because there was times when we were in torrential downpours. Yeah. And, and so, typically, you know, the slippery modes and sl- um, snow modes actually behave quite differently because slippery mode, you know, tightens up the slip thresholds for activating stability control and stuff. So it activates sooner. Snow mode actually does the opposite. It actually loosens it up so that when you're in a deformable surface like snow or sand, uh, it'll actually allow more slip so that you can get going. Cause otherwise you tend to get stuck. Yeah. You just, that makes sense. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's I, yeah. So they're not interchangeable. No, I usually no. wind up shutting traction control off when I've got to do something in snow, like, you know, climb a hill and unplowed driveway or something because it it right. just grind you to a halt otherwise. So, yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah. So, you know, again, the, I think if you're looking, if you're in the market for that sports sedan for something that is fun to drive, it handles great on the twisties, you know, it was, it was a good, I mean, the suspension was lovely. So, you know, we're going all over all different types of, of road surfaces. It was quiet. I mean, it was especially quiet on traditional pavement. Concrete always, you know, draws up more road noise, but it was, it was still very, very good. I mean, the, you know, the kids and I, we had no problem, you know, hearing each other conversation. We had the radio on it, you know, so overall it was very, very comfortable. I, and so I think it's a good small family sedan, if that's what you're going for. The trunk was actually pretty good and it had that slip that, um, the long thing through the the back seat so you can put like long skis and stuff so you know there was a lot of good things about it i didn't hate it i you know i when it went away i was like okay that was fun you know i'm glad i had that car for this drive but i do think that it was just showing its age a little bit they've tried to keep it up as much as they can and again for 60 grand it's just a lot of money yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think too the uh, the fact that this is the only sedan in their lineup right now is sort of indicative of of the way the wind blows for Infinity, and I'm sure that their sales are really quite down right now. Well, um, the other indication is that this car actually had not been in; nobody had had it in the press fleet in New York since about I think they said December. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I yeah. So it's been just sitting idle. 
it had been sitting idle. They had to give it to me because they pulled the minivan at the last minute yeah. and I needed something. And so, you know, and, and they were like, nobody wanted it in the winter. I'm like, it has all wheel drive and snow mode. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, well, so well, it had some about- snobby guys down there in Manhattan. Uh, right. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe <laughs> Nissan didn't want to put the money into uh, getting a set of snow, snow tires, tires for yeah. it though. Yeah. Maybe. It may, it I mean, it has 6,000, it has 6,000 miles on it. So now it has 7,000 miles uh, that's, on it. I mean, I, I know the other fleets, it was always boggles my mind when the, the guys with the Detroit fleet are like, yeah, it's got 20 miles. And I'm like, yeah, out here in New England, I've driven stuff <laughs> with like 20,000. Yeah. <laughs> and it's fine. It actually, exactly. like, I actually like when they have some wear on them because everything's great when it's brand new, you know? So right. like, getting, getting it worn in a little bit is actually, uh, getting those, getting those rattles and everything that, that show up after you've owned a, after you've driven a car for a year or two. Yeah. You, know, you, you get a little more of the experience of what it's going to be like for the average user. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, and, and from that standpoint, this was very, very good. Oh, well, that's that's good yeah. to know. I mean, I've always liked the the Infinity's um, sedans. I do. I I lament the G thirty five, G thirty seven. I think that was their high point. They were yeah. not as refined as this, but they were more visceral. And uh, they that that car was just marvelous. And so yeah. the the Q fifty makes me a little sad. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, and and it, it turns out they did discontinue the Q seventy for the twenty twenty model year. So. There are apparently still some. I was looking at the the Infinity website. There there are still some Q70s sitting around on dealer lots. So if you really want, you know, this car but a little bit longer, uh, they're out there. But I, I think right, get them while yeah, you can. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Rebecca yeah. points out pretty accurately though, like why it's hard to sell them because they're they're not cutting edge. They have some interesting tech in them, uh, but overall, they just they haven't kept up in the the ways that you're gonna feel every day you know that whole like where am i going to put my phone and i me i usually toss it in the cup holder but that becomes an issue when you've got other things that need to go in there especially if you got well, two that's people right in the i seat. mean there's like, two of us i had a front passenger yeah. you know and the, and then we're so we're you know we're kind of juggling things around right. you so know on a test drive yeah. it's just going to annoy you and you're not going to buy it Right. <laughs> right. But on the uh, the other thing you were driving, uh, maybe was a little less annoying on a test drive. Oh, oh it's nice. Yeah, I don't want to dominate. I'm not. I don't. I know I've taken up a lot of time. Um, I'll tell you right. so quickly. Uh, the 2020 AMG GLC 43 SUV, otherwise known as the Mercedes Compact SUV. And this would have been amazing on that road trip. Yeah. <laughs> but I actually did. I had to go pick up something that I purchased um, in, in New Jersey. You do and a lot so, of purchasing again, I, in New Jersey. <laughs> well, I think I referred to well, this. Well, you know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of stuff for sale there that falls off a truck. That's true. A- exactly. And, well, and, you know, where you are in Greenwich, it's actually probably easier to get into Jersey because you just like zip across to It's you know, right across Tappan Yeah. So, so. No, so, this was, so I collect... As some of our listeners know, and certainly you guys know, I have a mid-century modern house. So I actually, it's authentic. Like I bought it from the original owners and builders. And I collect this Faultscraft mid-century modern. Uh, it's called Brown, Gourmet Brown Drip uh, oh, dishware. Yeah, okay. And so it did, fortunately it didn't fall off the truck. <laughs> but, but what happens is people, you know, they go through their parents' houses or they go through an estate sale or something and they find this stuff. And it's, I absolutely love it. It's all, every piece is different. Oh, that's it's so mid-century. Yeah. It's got the, the, the glaze with the, 
the it, it does, looks like exactly. an eye. It has it looks the like an eye. <laughs> and so I just I absolutely love this stuff. And I try really hard not to buy all of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool looking. Though. I frequently fail. So this great professor had a set that they bought at a, an estate sale and they had a ton of it. And I actually posted um on on my Instagram because he had a he had a, a Prius with, I think he's, I think it's 300,000 miles on it oh, wow. in pristine condition. He's replaced the battery once. I mean, it's just, it's insane. So he was, so that was really fascinating. So I drove this thing out and it, I, I drive this, this AMG tuned Mercedes <laughs> out. And it turns out that he was a retired professor of environmental studies, of course, you know, so he eyeballs this thing uh-huh. and it's got, you know, Georgia plate. He's like, what? Yeah. Mile Prius. Right, just yeah, exactly. He's like, who are you? You know, <laughs> so just give me the plates and don't ask any questions. <laughs> exactly. Take my money. Give me the plates. <laughs> Oh, it was funny. But so, you know, so the GLC, I mean, overall, it's, you know, this thing drew a lot of looks, even here in Greenwich. The GLC has this beautiful, huge stately grill on it. Definitely draws a lot of attention. People want to see what this thing is. The color of it, it was this beautiful cardinal red on it. So it it was just, it was really a beautiful vehicle. Uh, A couple of things that I really liked about it, 21 inch tires, but very, very minimal road noise. It's got this $150 option for heat and noise insulating glass, which actually worked pretty That's well. totally worth the, 150 bucks. Right? For 150 bucks? Yeah. Yes, please. Yeah. So that would definitely be something. Um, really easy, adjustable drive modes. Uh, there was, I did run into some, again, a lot of rain. And so I threw it into, uh, into, slippery mode and it was great, you know, all wheel drive traction. So, you know, it was, it was very, very good. One thing that was interesting is that, so in comfort mode, which is the default mode, the accelerator was really grabby. And it was funny because my sister drove with me for a bit and I was like, see, I'm like, and I like, it's like the pedal itself, the, the pedal itself, like it was, it was very, like I couldn't get a smooth acceleration from it. And then when I put it in sport and sport plus mode, I didn't have any of those problems at all. Hmm. I usually so find I in these kind was... of cars, I, if I put it in eco, it's actually better, you know, because it, it gives you a, a, a less like it. it's not trying to show off how powerful it is. It's just sort of a yeah. little bit more linear, a little more gradual. OK, was was, was this one the, the, the 43 or the, the, the 56? The 43. Okay, so this the forty three has the the new three liter inline. Uh, it does the turbo V six, and uh, it's also uh, a mild hybrid. It's a forty eight volt mild hybrid. So oh. there's uh, there's actually uh, an integrated uh, motor generator on the the back end of the crankshaft. So maybe it's something with the control of that, you know, that was kind of surging a little bit when you're you know when you're in eco mode, you know, kind of um, trying to you know trying to get smooth control maybe or trying to keep it um keep the power to a minimum so the eco stop start kind of thing would kick in a little bit you think that could be wouldn't be stop start but just um just trying to blend the the output from the the electric motor and the engine smoothly okay it happened repeatedly and it was i was sort of start i was embarrassed because like what is happening (laughs) it was bad driving you know so but then it was noticeably, noticeably absent in sport and sport plus. Okay. 
So that was kind of an interesting, you know, again, like just, it was a very minor wrinkle, but something that was, you know, so I ended up just driving it. sport plus all the yeah, time. I, exactly. <laughs> if you make me, <laughs> I, yeah, I had a GLC last year and I, I adored it. I just thought, and I'm sure the yeah. AMC is just even better, but it's just, uh, it's one of those, I think it's one of those cars that I drove that just sort of paved the way for, for me deciding that like a Mercedes is something that I might like to own someday. Yes, <laughs> like just, no, absolutely. So, you know, and true to form, of course, I, I, I had some issues with tech. <laughs> so, so overall, I mean, I really liked the enhanced navigation. There was real time live video, which was super cool. So, you know, you, you can switch on and you can actually see like when you're, when you have your indicators on it turns it into a, the front cameras turn into live video, which was really, really cool. So I loved that part. I would have loved to have had heads up display with it. I was surprised that it didn't, especially because the X3 has a, a very, very good heads up display. It doesn't have live video, but a direct competitor like the BMW X3 does have heads up display. But what happened to me is, and shameless plug, this is in my review on the site, which is actually, my review is actually live. So that's RebeccaDrives.com. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It sounds better coming from you. <laughs> so when I so when when I'm in navigation, if I did not want voice commands, I would have to highlight the icon for voice commands and it would it would show the icon in regular, like you could see the icon. If act, if voice activation was on, it would cross out the icon. I sent this to Mercedes and they were like, you're right. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so I have, I, I took screenshots of it. I'm sure it made sense to some German engineer somewhere I, along the line. So I'm, I'm in a small group of, of guys, other journalists here in New York. So I asked them, like, did anybody else have this vehicle yet? And did you run into the same thing? And none of them had had it yet in my, in my little small, small cohort, but it was very, very bizarre. So the, the icons were quite confusing and strange. And I actually meant to go down to a a Mercedes dealer to see if this is just, you know, what are the odds that I get this car though? Like, like seriously, between the CRV well, and that loud, weird noise, and then this thing. Well, it's it's certainly possible. You know, a lot of times, you know, the press vehicles, the the, the vehicles that go into the press fleet, especially the early ones, are pre-production or pilot production vehicles. And that's true. Sometimes they don't always have the final production intent software, and they may or may not have gotten updated by the time that it gets to you. Right. No, fair enough. So, yeah, so that was the only thing. Otherwise, I mean, the interior is gorgeous. This carbon fiber, I, I know, Dan, you said something about it. this actually looks gorgeous. There was a nice spot for my phone. You know, it just it just was beautiful. It was a beautiful driving experience. I, I really loved it. I probably, frankly, I probably preferred the X3 a little bit more uh, because I'm very partial to BMWs, I guess. It was a little less, you know, there, there weren't as many looks with the X3. I think I talked about this before, you know, it's a little bit less dramatic, um, but you know, you can't go wrong with either vehicle. So this one starts at 60,000 and change as tested. It was 79,007. I was actually able to build one on the site for 82, seven and up. 
because there's so many a bargain at options. twice the price. That's <laughs> exactly. Jesus. Uh, but you know, I mean, it just, it was, a, it was nice. It was nice. It was fun. Oh, just, just a quick correction. Um, I was wrong. The GLC 43 still has the old twin turbo V6. It's not the new, uh, in line six yet. Oh, it's a, it says so it's by turbo. It, yeah. So it's a twin turbo V6, but it's, it's not the, it's not, not the, the new inline six that they have in okay. some of the other Mercedes and AMG models, um, which has the mild hybrid system. This one does not have that. So it's just bad tuning when it's in eco mode. Okay. Well, so this is the AMG tuned one, right? Yeah. But it's, it's still, and, it's just, you know, it's just poorly tuned in eco mode. Well, and it's probably trying to compensate. And, you know, I, I, you know, coincidentally, this actually gets 21 miles per gallon like the Q50. Uh, but you're in an SUV and you've got a yeah. lot more room. You're also and, in a Mercedes. And like, you're in a Mercedes. I mean, come on. <laughs> Who cares what kind of fuel economy it gets? You have to- Especially an AMG. Right? No. Yes. You don't yeah. buy an AMG for the fuel economy. It's more about you do not. point to point speed at that point, right? That's that's the way you I look not. at it. It's like efficiency is is less of a matter. It's more about how fast can I, you know, get between those dots on the map. Yeah. Yeah, no, and and this was this was a lot of fun. Yeah. It was great. I I do like me some Mercedes and the AMGs have that that character. That, yeah, a, but now I'm in a Kia Seltos this week, so it's back that's to reality. Super interesting too, though. Um, that's a new model that will hey, be. We, we we have to stay grounded. Yeah, right. yeah exactly. It does. It ha- It doesn't have keyless entry. I'm going out of my. <laughs> oh, mind really? Finding those keys. Yes. <laughs> well, hang on. Ho- hold it for next week. Okay. Because <laughs> Sam, we we can talk about the uh, the Hyundai Sonata Hybrid now that uh, okay. we've we've all had this car, I think, and yep. uh, yes. me and Rebecca both seem pretty impressed with it. What's your take? It's fantastic. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm not going to go into a whole lot of depth because you know we talked about it, and also the regular Sonata. Um, you know, and most of what we said about the Sonata before, as well as the Sonata Hybrid certainly applies to this really nice interior, really nicely executed, especially for this segment and this price point. Um, you know, again, I, I would say for me, you know, this interior is second only to the Mazda six, uh, in terms of the material quality and the look and feel of it. Um, and a, a very close second at that. Uh, so I, you know, I think it's, it's excellent. The hybrid outstanding fuel economy. You know, yeah. I got 51 miles per gallon, with this yeah, thing. I got I mean, ridiculous fuel economy too. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, which, you know, for a mid-sized family sedan with a very roomy back seat, a big trunk, you know, that's, that's amazing. You know, it's, you, you can't complain about that. That is a feat of engineering for yeah. sure. One thing that was interesting, I don't know when you guys, you both had the hybrid before, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, did the ones that you have, have the, um, the solar roof? Yes. Uh, I don't so, think mine had the solar roof. So the, the solar roof is, is an interesting thing. You know, <clears throat> you know, a lot of people have asked repeatedly over the years, you know, what, you know, when we've got these electric and hybrid vehicles, why don't we put solar roofs on them to charge the battery? You don't get much and, out of it though. That's like a perpetual motion machine. It doesn't exist. Yeah. Well that, that's, you know, that, that's the issue is, you know, solar panels, you know, are great in stationary applications where you can point them directly at the sun because when you get off angle, from the solar panel, the, the power generating efficiency drops off pretty dramatically. Um, and, you know, in the, the, the specs, you know, Hyundai says that, um, you know, the solar roof on this thing can charge the battery, you know, fully in about six hours, which I suppose would be true if you were sitting 
under noonday sun directly in for California. Six hours. Yeah. In California. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe even in Michigan, you know, in the summertime. Yeah. But I mean, that's the California yeah. sun looks but, different. You know, the, the sun, you know, the sun doesn't stay directly over the roof of the car, pointing straight down directly into those cells for any six hour period contiguously. So, one of the things I noticed on the instrument cluster on this, uh, you know, where you've, you've got the normal power flow meter on a hybrid that shows you if you're getting power from the engine or the battery or whether it's regenerating. There's also an extra little icon in there for the solar panels. And it's like a, it's like a bar graph and it actually lights up depending on how much power you're getting from the solar cells. And, you know, as I drove around, uh, you know, and I was at different angles to the sun, you know, it would go from being full. So I was getting full power out of the solar cells, you know, down to, you know, it was like five bars, you know, go down, would sometimes go down to one bar. And if you went under a tree or under a bridge, it goes down to zero. They have made a very, Um, very sophisticated light meter. That's great. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so it does put some power back into the, into the, the, um, the battery. It literally says two miles. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's about what you get from, (laughs) you know, from a battery in a typical hybrid, you know, is about two miles of very light driving. Um, So, you know, this is not going to have a huge impact one way or the other on you. Uh, It does come standard in the limited trim. I'm not sure about the, the, the other trim levels, you know, what, what they charge for it or if it's even available, but it does come standard on the limited trim, um, you know, which, the the car I had was priced at uh, thirty six thousand four thirty, including the the destination charge, <clears throat> which you know I think for what you get in this car, you know, is is really generally a great value. I mean, you know, you're getting outstanding fuel fuel efficiency, um, you know, without without even really having to try very hard. Uh, you know, a lot of the times, you know, certainly, you know, dr- most almost all the time, driving through my neighborhood at twenty five miles an hour, uh, you know, twenty to twenty five miles an hour. You know, it would be on pure electric mode, um, you know, until I got out onto the main road. And even then, you know, a surprising amount of time, you know, the engine would shut off and it would be coasting. You know, so Hyundai's done a great job on both the blending of the engine and the hybrid uh, so that it's really seamless, you know, and also, you know, really getting the engine shut down as much as possible, um, you know, when you're coasting or sailing uh, and certainly when you're decelerating that, you know, so that they're, they're really extracting the maximum from this thing. And I think they've really done an outstanding job. It's, it's, the system has come a long way since the first generation Sonata hybrid 10 years ago. Um, you know, and you know, the, uh, the battery, the lithium ion battery, Hyundai was the first manufacturer to use a lithium ion battery, you know, a regular production hybrid with the launch of the original Sonata 10 years ago. And they've continued to to do that, and you know, so there's you're not giving up any trunk space uh, for this, you know, and it's just it's just really well executed across the board, uh, and you know, so if you're looking for a family sedan that drives really well, gets outstanding fuel economy, uh, looks great, um, you know, you'd, you'd be hard pressed to do much better than than the Sonata Hybrid. It looks like that solar roof is only available on the Limited. Okay. That that makes sense. Yeah, um, I couldn't find it. it. I couldn't add it to the others when I was trying to build it. Okay, and uh, what's what's the uh, the base price on this? And not a hybrid. I think it's like twenty six, twenty seven seven, twenty seven seven. Okay. Yeah, twenty seven so. seven fifty for the blue. 
Okay. Um, but that again, you know, like we talked about it before, like, so that still comes with forward collision avoidance, blind spot collision, eight inch touch screen. So it's a nice, you know, for that price, it's not bad. Yeah. And you know, the one thing you do give up, uh, going with the limited, with the solar panel is you can't get a sunroof. So, right. you know, if you want a sunroof, um, which, you know, on the, on the regular Sonata, I drove a couple of months ago, you know, that was, you know, personally, I like. I like having, you know, you know, opening up the roof, you know, if it, whether it's a convertible or a sunroof, I like to See, doing and that. I was just going to say, so, of all the cars you've actually owned with a sunroof, how often do you use the sunroof? But I, I guess you do. So, yeah, so, you I, know, I, I know my wife does. I mean, you know, the last three cars we've had all had sunroofs and, you know, she drives with the sunroof open all the time. I don't think that you can oh. get a sunroof anyway. Um. I'm pretty sure. I mean, what I'm building, what oh, I'm building on the hybrid or the regular on the stuff. hybrid. Okay, yeah, that, that may be true. It may be the hybrid. The sunroof is not offered. Uh, it is on the regular Sonata, but even the regular Sonata, you know, is is an outstanding car as well. So, did they discontinue then the plug-in hybrid because that only has they, 2019? They they haven't reintroduced the new one yet, so okay. it, it's coming. Okay. Uh, so that they typically stagger the introductions and they've done this for the last couple of generations, you know, so they'll launch the, the standard one, then bring out the hybrid. And then, you know, usually six to nine months after that, they'll bring out the plug-in hybrid. So I do believe they're bringing out a plug-in hybrid uh, version of the new Sonata. Um, we'll probably see it by the end of this year. Okay. But yeah, it doesn't look like you can get, uh, you can't get a sunroof in, in them, which makes sense from a build standpoint. Yeah. I mean, they're probably trying to, constrain the the number of buildable combinations. Right. So, you know, so they just keep that, but I mean, I think, you know, the, the, um, the limited, there's a big jump between the SEL and the limited. So there's three trims, the blue SEL and limited, and the SEL seems like a pretty good combination, a, a pretty good compromise. Mm-hmm. You know, you get a lot of the accoutrements that you would get in limited. Now you can't get parked parking collision avoidance assistance. There's a couple of things, sensors, you know, there's a few things that you're not going to get, but there's a $6,000 jump between those two. So, yeah. but what know, Hyundai does do is they do include a lot of driver assist options, you know, as standard equipment across the board now. Right. You can get, you can get a really nice vehicle. I think in that mid trim line, that's yeah. uh, product planning. Earn yeah. their keep. Good for <laughs> yeah. them. Um, all right. Well, let's. Uh, the the Sonata has hit its crescendo. Unless there's anything else, okay. you, you... Uh, one one more. The Toyota Highlander, right. the 2020 Highlander, which we talked a little bit about back in February when they introduced uh, February it, yeah. or March. Yeah. When they yeah they did some some local uh, media drives around here, um, and I had a chance to drive it briefly. Had a chance to spend a week with it um, here. Um, my wife hated the way it looks. <laughs> really? So I'm split <laughs> I, on this. The yeah. the internet hated it. Uh, like car Twitter hated it. And I, I didn't think it was terrible, but it's definitely like they're trying for something. Yeah. I, you know, I don't mind the way it looks. Um, but you know, personally, you know, for a big SUV crossover, I actually prefer the previous generation, which was a little more truckish looking. Yeah. This one, you know, I don't mind it, but I'm not crazy about it. You know, it's, it's got a more curvy voluptuous look to it. Um, you know, it's almost like the, you know, especially like the, the fenders, the rear fenders that have this, you know, big curving arch over the fenders it almost looks like they tried to apply some Supra styling cues to it, <laughs> uh, which I'm not entirely sure works on this thing. Um, but you know, driving it was, was fine. 
uh, you know, it's, it's nice. It's with, the, with a new model. That is what you <laughs> aim for is fine. fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not exceptional, um, yeah. but you know, it's, it's really good. Um, the, you know, the third row seat, you know, the third row is very cramped. You know, it's definitely for the little ones. Even now, because that was one of the things that they talked about was they improved the third row and access to it. And- it's it's still it's still tight. Yeah, it's still very tight back there. Uh, I would not want to sit in the third row of this thing. Um, you know, the one I had had the, the the second row captain's chair, so you do have access through the through the middle as well as being able to fold the seats forward. Uh, but it, it's still very snug in that third row uh, for adults. Um, and it's, it's probably, it probably is a little better than the, the old one, but not by a huge amount. Um, the, the front did, oh, do you have a com- comment? Well, Rebecca? I just, I mean, think, and, and, and you can please continue. I'll make it after you're done. Okay. So the, you know, the front, you know, I think that it's really nicely executed. The materials and the fit and finish, you know, and the, and the front is, is really good. The, the new touch screen, you know, is larger. I think it's 10 inches now, 10 and a half inches. And, you know, it, it looks good. It, the Toyota infotainment system we've complained about in the past. <laughs> um, you know, but mine to... had Android Auto and Apple CarPlay. Yes, and this one did too. It had Android Auto and CarPlay, which uh, is a new app. Yeah, it only took them right. like so, a decade. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Toyota was the last, <laughs> and they started. They brought out CarPlay first, and first they were going to go CarPlay only, and then they relented when they got all the complaints, and so they said, "Okay, we'll add." Uh, Android Auto, and they've been gradually adding that to, to models as they've gone along over the last year and a half. And actually, to their credit, on a bunch of the 2018 and 2019 models that had uh, CarPlay support, they are offering a retrofit kit. You can take it into the dealer and get you know get a free retrofit uh, to add Android Auto support. So that's a, Toyota absolutely deserves credit. The only other company I know of that's doing that is Mazda. Yeah, they just they uh, and put Mazda a, charges like a hundred bucks for it. Stick a Rosetta so, Stone in the trunk so it can yeah. uh, translate. But but my 2015 Buick, which definitely didn't have Apple CarPlay or Android Auto at the time, I was very pleasantly surprised. It supports that. Now, when I plug, it, I, I can get. Yeah, I can get ways up. I can get ways up there. So maybe it's not okay. the full suite of of um, yeah, I think products, I think it, but it was still great to be able to get ways up there. Yeah, I so I think, I think the the system that GM used on that vehicle um, had support for certain specific apps. Um, okay. So it's not full blown Android Auto, right. uh, but you uh, it had ways uh, built in there so that when you connected your phone, it would use that connection to, huh. to use ways, but. Um, what one of the things that really particularly annoyed me about the um, the Highlander was actually the adaptive cruise control. A little too um, jerky, not smooth. Well, uh, yeah. Um, you know, first of all, the gaps. You know, when you set it at a given gap, it was like twice as far as on most other cars. Uh, you know, so it left a left even even at the very shortest gap setting, it it was still longer than most of what what you get in most other vehicles. So, you know, makes it easier for people to cut in. Um, but the other thing is, even with that big gap, you know, the, you know, when it decided to slow down, when the car ahead of you slowed down and it slowed down, it, you know, I wouldn't call it jerky, but it, it the braking was significantly more aggressive because it, it really wanted to maintain that gap. It did not want you getting <laughs> any closer. Yeah. Uh, so it didn't take any chances. So it was not the smoothest system I've driven in a while, you know, by any stretch. So that was, you know, that was not great. Um, and then the other thing that was the, probably the biggest disappointment of this thing was the fuel economy. So, you know, this year for the new Highlander, um, you know, they have 
the 3.5 liter V6 as the base engine, and then you can get the hybrid. But on the previous generation Highlander, the hybrid was matched with the, the V6 as it is in the um, Lexus RX. But uh, on the new one, they switched to the, the 2.5 liter four cylinder. So it's basically the same combination you get in the RAV4 and the Camry. And that really bumped up fuel economy. So like I think EPA combined fuel economy for the hybrid is like 34 miles per gallon, which is way beyond what any other three row crossover gets. The V6, eh, not so much. You know, the, the V6 is EPA rated at, um, at 20 city, 27 highway, 23 combined. I only got 19. I, got, I was just looking at my pictures. I got 19.1. You're only going to yeah. get 19 with that thing. I don't care what the EPA and numbers say. If you just, if that's just what, that's what a vehicle that size with three rows, like, that's all it gets. That's what. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I was, you know, not, I mean, I was driving it the way I normally drive, you know, which I typically get, you know, pretty close to the, you know, to the EPA combined number. And, you know, so I was not beating this thing up or anything and it just, it just didn't do very well, you know, so they, and actually, a lot of times, you know, like in city driving, you know, it was closer to 17 most of the time. So, well, I mean, the fact that we got the exact same is saying yeah. something. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, if if fuel efficiency is important to you, absolutely, you know, and and you want to get the um, get the uh, the the Highlander, you know, absolutely, make sure you check out the the hybrid because the the V6 is nowhere near what you're going to get with the hybrid. I mean, my feeling on the on the Highlander, because I, I had it a few months ago, is that there's so much competition in this space that has greatly improved. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing is that I didn't feel like I was driving the future with this vehicle. And you do feel like that when you get into ones like, like the, the you know, Palisade the, or the, the Palisade, exactly. Yeah. You know, and the Telluride. And so that's what I just, I felt like, you know, there's, there's so much competition. I mean, this is a stalwart vehicle. You're never going to go wrong with a Toyota, but there's some really, really good alternatives out there. The well, Subaru Ascent is another one that I named you know, that just, yeah. I mean, I like the styling, so it didn't bother me at all, but, and, and the interior was really, really nice. They had some really nice features in there, but I just feel like there's so much competition for this price point. Well, and, and the one that the I had point, was $50,000. Yeah. This one was 50, 51, 654, including delivery, which, you know, I mean, or, you know, this is a platinum, you know, so it's loaded. That's what I had. Yeah. But, you know, you can, you can get um, a Palisade or a Telluride for significantly less than that for many thousands of wow. dollars less. And I think that they're better vehicles to drive. Yeah. I think so and too. I, I think, and and yeah. like better back, better third row seat. Yeah. Better access, better tech, better uh, dynamics that they're really yeah. well thought out. And, and like that, that's yeah. And arguably better looking, <laughs> much better looking. I mean, you know, I mean, design, design is always, uh, you know, a very personal subjective thing. So I'm sure you know that there are people that are going to look at the Highlander and look at the, the Palisade or Telluride or Ascent um, or even the VW Atlas, and they're going to they're going to prefer one or over the others, uh, and there will be those that prefer the Highlander, and that's fine, you know that's that's great, you know, and especially if what you want is a three row utility that gets fantastic fuel economy, you absolutely need to look at the Highlander Hybrid because that that uh, that hybrid that that you know, 34 miles per gallon it gets is way beyond anything else in this segment. 
Um, well, and no, nobody does hybrids as, I mean, yeah. you know, Toyota has been known for their hybrid technology. It's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. But and, I agree. And, you know, Ford, Again, Ford has an so Explorer much, hybrid, which, right. you know, is really great, but it's not, um, you know, they did not necessarily tune it as much for maximum fuel economy. You know, so theirs is rated at like 27 or 28, I think. Um, and, you know, but, but they, it also, you know, it's with a V6 and, you know, it's got, you know, 5,000 pounds of towing capability, you know, with the hybrid uh, or 5,300, I think actually, uh, you know, so, you know, it's, they've, they've gone, you know, they've, they've biased it in a different way, uh, which is fine. You know, that's, that's, you know, that was their choice, but. I just find with, with Toyota overall, you know, they've been, this isn't entirely fair, but they have been resting on their laurels on, in some ways. They've been so dependent upon that baby boomer demographic for so long. And, and, but, you know, when you think about like the Toyota Prius, like the competition has really surpassed them. And that's what I think that the Highlander, that there's so much competition out there that it's not a no brainer to go buy a Toyota anymore because you, there's other competition out there that's just as good if not better and again when you think about resale value and stuff maybe overall ownership experience may not be exactly the same but there's still a lot of really good vehicles out there yeah yeah all right dan uh it's your turn okay so let's circle back to uh nissan and how you were talking about the uh infinity q50 not having um adaptive cruise i had a versa and it had adaptive cruise. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's um, that's amazing. Yeah, the Versa is for 2020. They've redone it uh, inside and out, style wise. The underpinnings are still pretty much the same, which is fine. There wasn't really a ton wrong with that car. Uh, pretty simple underneath, you know, beam rear axle. So you had a pretty big 14 and a half cubic foot trunk. Uh, rides and handles decently. It's not as squishy as the last one that I drove. That just felt like. A modern day. It, it was terrible. Uh, it was the yeah. The last one. <laughs> it was a bad car. So it, it's funny that the the Versa has really matured. Uh, it, it's first generation. Everybody loved it, but we especially loved the hatch more so than the the sedan. And then uh, the second generation, they made it long. It had they they were crowing about the um, the back seat leg room that's bigger than a Mercedes E Class, which is all well and good, but the rest of the car looked like a I, I don't Bad. know. <laughs> it was ugly. It was, it was tall and yeah, lumpy was and blobby little wheels. It looked like it was going to tip over all the time. Yeah. And it's like, it was, it, it aggressively went for the crown of lowest priced car in the United States and it achieved it. And you could tell, and it just, it was a cheap car built cheaply. And this time around, they've taken what was good about it and changed what needed to change it's really sharp looking it looks so good uh from uh, especially the exterior styling it, it makes you wonder like this is the same car like this is the same platform and it is but they've done enough to it they've done a lot to it to make it look like a nissan and not like some blobby thing <laughs> so yeah it fits in the lineup uh, rebecca and i drove it last summer in in um tennessee. yeah in tennessee and it, you know it was fantastic and yeah. you know i've driven it uh, earlier this year and I actually just had the Sentra, which we'll talk about next yeah. time. Um, you know, same, same thing. Everything you just said all equally applies to the Sentra. It's so much better than the 
previous generation. Yeah, Nissan's making pretty good cars while everybody else is fleeing the segment. Um, the interior was was nice, including Infinity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had um, I had an SR, so it has a, a little sportier bent to it. You know, on the outside it has a um, uh, lip spoiler on the the trunk lid, and uh, just it gets larger wheels, and um, I think the front fascia might get fog lamps or something it's it's not really it's not a sports car it's definitely not sporty when you push it <laughs> um the interior in the sr is is nice it has uh it's a uh, nice looking upholstery that has uh, uh orange stitching and the, there's some stitching on the dash and stuff so they've done what they can to make this small inexpensive car feel like a, a, a full not not like you settled you know, it's it's like yeah, it's small and it, it this one topped out. I think this was like twenty one thousand and change, um, which it didn't strike me as a bad deal. It actually struck me as a pretty good deal because there's not really any options or anything I wanted for. Uh, it had you know the the eight S suite. It had adaptive cruise. Um, it didn't. I don't think it had nav, but it had Apple CarPlay. So that was not much of an issue and the screen is nicely integrated into the dash in a way that i find aesthetically pleasing <laughs> um it looks like uh it looks like it was meant to be there materials and stuff inside are you can tell that it's a inexpensive car there's there's some hard plastic that is not hard to find but it's not egregious like it was in the last um versa where it, things just like you could tell like this is a one piece molding because it's cheap as hell to make it that way. Uh, yeah, well, you know, the thing is, you know, on lower price cars like that, you know, there's nothing wrong with having hard plastic. No. You know, as long as it's reasonably well executed, you know, you have some some decent texturing on it, you know, so it doesn't look too it's not, you know, shiny, no texture to it, you know, as long as it looks halfway decent. I, I'm I'm not opposed to hard plastics in a car you know, a twenty thousand dollar car. Yeah, a forty thousand dollar vehicle is something entirely different. It's a little different, yeah. And and so the the Versa the that like Versa Centra crossover point has happens right around eighteen thousand dollars. And so I was like, well, why would you buy this instead of a Centra? And the the argument just basically comes down to equipment because the the Versa is a little tighter than the Centra. It's not actually that much smaller. Uh, it's narrower, so there's less hip room, um, front headroom, a little less rear legroom. They they have given up their their giant rear seat. It's still a good size in the back seat, um, but it's it, it's still right on top of the Centra. So when you start to get at that point, you go, well, do you want the features or do you want the slightly larger car? I mean, the, the trunk in the Centra is only like a half a cubic feet larger. So, uh, and I but I think there's more that you can get in the Centra. Like the, they'll they'll give you more features, more options, and there's certainly more to climb. I'm, I'm assuming you can get a Centra over thirty. Um, so I don't think so. Actually, or you can get it close. You know, like yeah. uh, there's there's more features and things to be had. The the Versa is, is kind of a tightly uh, tightly optioned and, and planned car, and that's fine. It's it's good for what it is. Um, the competition in the market is also those that aren't fleeing are uh, still pretty formidable, though, and they do a better job than the Versa. Where the Versa loses it is it's weak engine it's got 122 horsepower from its its 1.6 liter engine which is again it's one of those things like it's fine uh but it's it's not 
as powerful as some of the others in this segment and its power curve, like a Chevy Sonic. Chevy Sonic has a standard turbo engine, so it's going to have a lot more torque right off the line. And there's a CVT here, which is pretty well behaved, but when you need it, it does the CVT thing, you know, where it just the engine revs up. And so it gives you that sensation of not being all that, that quick. And it's not all that quick. And that's, that's fine. It doesn't have to be a quick car. You just need to adjust to that and, and plan a little bit. And if you're driving other things in the class, you may find that they feel a little bit more satisfying power wise. Uh, the, the Hyundai um, accent and Kia Rio also probably feel a little more sporty. They probably have a slightly more comprehensive tech suite. And they're they're just as competitive. I remember the last Rio I was in, I was also pretty impressed with. So is this a tight competition in this class? Um, the ride of the Versa is also a little little stiff. I don't know what, what kind of experience it was when you, you folks drove it, but it it handles okay. It it rides okay most of the time, but on rough pavement, it'll it'll skitter around a little bit. Like it's just got you know it's it's a little too stiff, and so that'll interrupt you in in uh, you know corners and stuff. It'll it'll bounce a little bit sideways, uh, and the, the beam axle doesn't help there because uh, it it has a, that's a solid axle, so you get a little bit of that. Like if the rear comes up, it'll move, <laughs> kind of thing. Um, <laughs> but it's it's fine, you know. It's it's a car I put I put a bunch of miles on. It. I had to go into the office, and and um, so I did a bunch of highway with it. It's a little loud on the highway, but it's it's you know comfortable. It it does everything you ask of it. It has just about every feature you could want. So it's a great starter car. It's a great downsizer car. Um, and it again, looks really good and it gets pretty good economy to the point where when it was swap day, I tried to fill it up. I, you know, you set the pump and you do another stuff and it clicks off. I'm like, no, there's no way that thing's full. Something's wrong here. And I kept trying to put more gas into it. I even went to another station. I was like, ah, this <laughs> pump nozzle must be wrong. I went to the other station. I couldn't get any more fuel into it. And I'm like, idiot, it's full. <laughs> 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 and so their gauge their gauge is a gray bar and there's a red area for the quarter tank that's always there. And so I was looking at the red, like, no, it has, it hasn't moved. It's still, I need to put gas in it. <laughs> still full. Yeah. No, it's full. I just, I couldn't get any fuel. I texted the fleet guy. I was like, Hey, I can't get any more fuel in this. He's like, please make sure our driver has enough to make it back. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's full. I'm just stupid. <laughs> um, but it's, it's a good car in the class uh, that, that others have, have left. I mean, that the sort of best, the best cars in the class, you know, the Honda Fit is going away. And the Fit is a hatch, too, right. so that's not a direct comparison. Uh, if you want a hatch, Nissan wants you to buy the Kicks or the Rogue Sport. Yeah. Um, and Or the Rogue, you know, like, get get into the crossovers. And because they'll, they'll charge you more. <laughs> um, the uh, Toyota Yaris, I think the hatch is still available, which is an okay enough car. It feels cheaper. The Yaris sedan. I think they might actually be dropping the Yaris for 2020. All of the Yaris. Okay. I think so. Because I know they're dropping the sedan, the the uh, the Mazda 2, which is like, that's okay. a great little car. It's fun. I The hatch I thought was like Toyota, Toyota, and I I couldn't figure out. No, the, the Yaris hatch is also the Mazda 2. Oh, is it? I thought they were. Oh. It used it used to be. They, they switched over two or three years ah, ago. I see. Dan, Dan did not pay attention. <laughs> get a demerit um but you know, like the that, the hat the the yaris was another sort of fun small car to drive um neither of those though neither the the uh well uh, the the yaris doesn't feel as as rich as the the 
Versa does at this price point. I haven't been in a fit in quite a while, so I, I can't really say there. But I think Nissan has done that that vehicle really, really well. Yeah. I, I mean, again, for that price point, 18 grand, you've got great safety features in it. I mean, you've got some creature comforts in there mm-hmm. that I think are, you know, typically found in more expensive cars. Or not found at all. The standard uh, <laughs> safety is a big thing, especially if you're in this this end of the market where this could be your first car or the car that you know parent is buying exactly. for their kids. Like that that's actually really important to have. And the other, yeah, I mean, you get you're getting stuff like automatic emergency braking. Yeah, you know, as yeah. standard equipment. Yeah, yeah, um, you know, and, and you know, Subaru with their eyesight is another manufacturer that does that well. Uh, so it's good to see that that stuff has made it down into this market because for so long the small cars were always just cheap. And it's this isn't it's inexpensive, you know, for the price. It, it's very full, fully equipped, but it's also you don't need to miss out on stuff and you shouldn't. And because sometimes you just want that size and you don't you don't need a bigger car. And, and this does everything that you would need. Uh, so it's a it's a really comprehensive refresh. It's a it's a well done car. I, I mean, I have my I have my quibbles with it, but, uh, you know, they, they did give up their, their cheapest, uh, car in the U S title. So they, they, the sh- pricing shenanigans are the cheapest one starts, I think right about 15,000, maybe 14 something. Uh, yeah. I think, I think it's, it's, I think it's 15 roughly with, uh, delivery. It's four, 14, right. Change. 14, eight thirty. Yeah. Then with delivery it goes to yeah, like but 15. That, as a manual transmission, That's the only one with yes. a manual, and I bet yes. you it's a crappy manual. Probably, <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's only the S trim. So if you want anything in it, you have to move up to the higher trims and the CVT, and that immediately makes it an eighteen thousand dollar car. Which is still, it's a pretty good. Or a six- but by by today's standards, you know, yeah. aside from the Mitsubishi Mirage, it's still you know that's that's basically the starting price now for any decent. Small yeah, car, except for yeah, when I was looking because I was I, I dug into this little the Sonic standard with an automatic and a turbo for 14, 14 and a half. But that's like going that. away too. Yeah. So so yeah, but the the Versa S still has automatic emergency braking, as I mentioned, lane departure warning. Yep. You know, so it's a high beam assist. Yep. So it does still have some of those features for sixteen five. Yeah, no, it's it's standard. Those things are standard, and I'm I'm impressed that they put them in because I think they're important in this class. So, yeah, I think so too, you know, so I think, I think that again, they've, I think they've done a nice job on, and keeping that price point, you know, impressive. So, yeah, and, and maybe Nissan, their strategy is to be a cockroach while everybody else leaves. We're going to hang out <gasps> and, <laughs> and we're going to build this car. Cause I'm, I'm assuming too, that this, this car oh my plays gosh. in other markets uh, quite well. Oh too, yeah. So. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't think it's it's any trouble. Like the the Sonic, Chevy doesn't sell cars really. <laughs> well, I guess the Sonic is, is is a global car. That's Korean, right? Like that's that was a deal. yeah yes. yeah. So I'm gonna stop talking out of my ass. Korea, now. Korea, and China, <laughs> and a few other markets. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's move to topics before I say something else stupid. <laughs> there was a lot of whining about the Mustang Mach E. Uh, Mach E fourteen hundred. Oh, I thought you meant about my drinking no, habits because you're right. I did. I was on vacation. <laughs> Rose all day. Uh, it was. <laughs> but the uh, the Mustang Mach E fourteen hundred. There actually was whining about this. Um, there's a, a video of literal and figurative. Yeah, the, yeah. and uh, like so the car itself whines, but then everybody was complaining that it whines. Like, what's that sound? It needs to sound like a V eight. I was like, I don't care. In the video, it looks pretty impressive to me. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it sounds like a Formula E car. Yeah, that's true. Because, you, know, uh, uh, you know, I think it, they've, they've basically done, you know, it's got straight cut gears, you know, which is where most of that whining comes from. You know, uh, you know, um, hot, you know uh, high, high strength differentials, and that's basically it. And then what they've done is they, you know, they gave this thing to uh, uh, Von, Gitt- Von Gitten Jr. and the, the crew at his shop. And, you know, they worked with Ford Performance and they took, you know, they basically, they've got seven electric motors in this thing. They stacked up three driving the front axle, four driving the rear axle. And, you know, the way the controls are set up, you can run any number of them on either end. So you can do anything from a single motor front wheel drive to seven motor all wheel drive, you know, with torque vectoring. How does this, how does that work though? The seven motors, like, why do you need four motors on the rear axle? Like. <laughs> uh, well, what it, part of part of the purpose of building this thing, you know, aside from you know showing, yeah, we can build you know a, a high performance you know electric drift Mustang, you know that makes a lot of smoke, um, you know, <laughs> is is also you know to experiment with to experiment with this platform to you know figure out you know okay how much power do we need so you know by being able to run any number of motors on the back there, you know, depending on which ones you send juice to. Um, or, or on the front for that matter, you can try out different combinations of, you know, front and rear, uh, torque balancing, you know, so if you want, you know, two front motors, four rear motors, you know, so you've got a more rear biased or, or more evenly balanced, you can, you can play with it in different ways, uh, you know, really easily, much more so than you could do with an internal combustion car and, you know, try out a lot of different combinations. And I'm sure that things that they learn from playing with this vehicle are going to transpire in future uh, limited production, higher performance versions of the Mach-E and, and other upcoming electric vehicles. I, I wonder if they're also going for like um, industry or military contracts too. It was really interesting um, to hear uh, GM's folks on Autoline talk about how racing translates over to, to military as well. And that, that just got me thinking with the electric Mustang too. It's like, well, what are the other applications for that? That would need high performance durability. Um, and, and just, you know, having that, that platform all, all figured out for it. So I, I don't know anything, yeah, well, but it's just uh, interesting. I mean, you know, maybe, you know, things they learn from this will get translated into a future electric F one fifty Raptor. That'd be all right. Yeah. So <laughs> that's acceptable. Yeah, no, nobody would, yeah. uh, nobody would complain. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. So, what do you think? Like, do you think that it needs needs V eight sound or anything? Or Sam, you sound pretty fine with it. I mean, I I love the sound of a of a big V eight, but you know, I know that this thing is not a V eight. You know, it's electric, and you know, the sound should be authentic to what it is. You know, just the same way. You know, I love the sound of a big V eight. I also love the sound. You know, of you know a flat six turbo Porsche. You know, and a V twelve Ferrari. You know, they, and they all have distinct sounds. You know, so there's no reason why an electric vehicle should sound like a like a GT500. Um, and and I, you know, I kind of like the the sound. You know, that whine. You know, I, when I when I first heard that last summer at the Formula E race in New York, you know, I thought, wow, this is actually really cool. You know, <laughs> that's what I was just gonna say. That was a really cool. We were there together. Yeah. And what I found was that the being at that Formula E. It, I described it as a very micro event. You could suddenly hear 
the squealing of the tires, the shifting of the brakes, the, the, you know, the shifting of the gears, the squeal of the brakes, instead of just the macro of that engine. <laughs> yeah. you know, normally that's all you hear is the engine. And this time it was so quiet, but the absence of noise allowed you to then hear all these other things that were going on. Right. And even when you do hear it coming, you know, that, that sound, you know, more, that whine is more like a, a TIE fighter in star Wars, you know? Yeah. And again, it's authentic to what it is, which is good. I'm, I have no issue with it. I will miss the sound of V8s. You know, fortunately I'm old enough that probably within my, within the rest of my lifespan, we'll still have them around. But, you know, and, you know, future generations may not. But, you know, As opposed to the baby Dan here. <laughs> I, look, I mean, there are still Victrolas uh, yeah. and wire recorders. So all that stuff is, is still around for. A, you, can, you can still hear the clip clop of a horse every yeah. once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. For, for new generations to discover. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's there's not a whole lot that's that's as thrilling as a uh, stationary engine, <laughs> big one cylinder turn of the century stationary diesel that just shakes the ground yeah. when it runs. So, um, I'm sure that that younger folks will uh, appreciate the things that we appreciate as well. Um, and I, you know, I mean, the sound of a dog cut gearbox just whining like that with all the power going through it, that's got its own sort of I- impressiveness to it um, that you don't. You don't appreciate, it, I think, until you, you see it in person. It's easy to to see the video and be like, "Yeah, it doesn't sound like whatever." But no, it sounds like its own thing. Um, yeah. Let's see. Uh, next on our list was uh, GM and EVgo. So <laughs> uh, there's a charger shortage if you're not a uh, a Tesla driver. I, there's there's and arguably even Tesla drivers experiences experience shortages, you know, when there's a lot of people trying to travel at once. I mean, you can look around online and find lots of people, you know, every time there's a holiday weekend or, you know, busy period, you know, you can find, you know, Tesla drivers posting their pictures of the long lineups at the supercharger stations. I have to wait three hours to charge up my car. You know, and yeah. And so with those people around you, uh, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're insufferable. Um, so you know the the and there are dead malls too. There's not even anything to go do. Oh my right. gosh, you're so funny. The, you know the shortage of chargers is is really a universal thing because you know the reality is you know even with you know fast charging you know with 350 kilowatt fast charging you know it still is going to take you 20 minutes or, or more to get you know a full charge on a long range EV and you know, I was, you know, I did several interviews yesterday, uh, media interviews. And one of the things, there's a 168,000 gas stations in the United States. There are currently about 16,000 DC fast chargers at about nine, at about eight, a little over 8,000 locations. It's more than I thought there were. Yeah. Um, you know, so, you know, there's 8,000 8, stations, you know, they average, you know, anywhere from, in some cases, you know, one DC fast charger up to like 12 or 18 at some of the supercharger stations, but mostly somewhere in the four to six range. So, you know, our projection at, at GuideHouse uh, is that by 2025, we'll have uh, 66,000 DC fast chargers in North America and 144 by 2030. But, you know, this this deal between GM and EVgo is, you know, just one incremental step in that direction 
you know, and what, what's interesting about this, you know, uh, GM's, you know, paying for part of the cost of installing another 2,700 uh, fast chargers. Um, unlike what Tesla did with the superchargers, you know, Tesla built out, you know, sort of relatively evenly distributed network of chargers across the country because, you know, they had cars that already had fairly long range, um, but they wanted to make it accessible for their owners to drive anywhere they wanted to go and, and use these chargers. Um, what, GM's trying to do here, you know, because there's other networks, including EVgo, that are starting to build out similar styles of networks. What GM wanted to do was to expand the uh, addressable market for EVs. Because one of the challenges you've got with EVs, you know, so they're they're building these in urban and suburban areas, close to like um, grocery stores and and things like that. Um, one of the challenges is the people that live there. A lot of times, if you live in an apartment or if you li- even if you have a house where maybe you don't have a driveway and a garage, you rely on street parking, which is often the case in many cities, um, you, know, you don't have somewhere to plug in and charge. And if you don't have workplace charging, um, owning an EV can be a real pain. You know? And if you have to rely on you know, a 240-volt you know, level two charger somewhere, you know, that's still going to take you three or four hours to charge up. Uh, but you know, by putting these DC fast chargers in, now you can, you know, top off your, your battery in 20 or 30 minutes while you go do your grocery shopping and then be on your way again. So that's what they're trying to target is a market that is interested in owning an EV, but it's not viable right now for them to do it because they, they're not able to charge at home. Yeah, I think there was a couple of things that were interesting about the announcement yesterday. The 2,700 new fast chargers. The disappointing part to me was that it was the next five years. Yeah. Which well, they're going to, they'll have the first ones deployed by the beginning of 2021. Yeah. But that's a, a yeah. long, you know, like I would have liked them to say three years or ideally yeah. even two years. The other thing that really struck me, though, is Kathy Zoya, who is the chief executive of EVgo, she lives in an apartment. Mm hmm. And so she was very vocal about the fact that this, you know, they need to have a multi-housing solution because she herself faces challenges like that, which I thought was a really interesting personal note, you know, and, and again, I've done you know a lot of work in this space of looking at like charging infrastructure and multifamily housing and things like that. And so, you know, the other, the other part that's fascinating is that, you know, with, people potentially not needing to go into the office anymore, that workplace charging takes on a different relevance. Yeah. And our emphasis on workplace charging may not have been the right approach. Obviously it was at the time. I mean, GM's still doing that. They're they're also deploying 3,500 workplace chargers at their facilities over the next two years. Right. So we may have to pivot a little bit from, what goes in first? And when I was talking to the guys from EBGO offline, you know, using a software like Tableau to understand the layers of where you're going to put these things can be much more effective. But you've got to overlay this idea that commuting has changed, you know, how people are using their vehicles. Uh, you've got to factor in the in the impact of pandemic of the pandemic on people's behavior globally. As well, not just in the U.S., but so it'll it'll be very very interesting to see what happens. Yeah, yeah. the the thing that I think they're doing smartly though is they're they're adding the infrastructure because the commitment to EVs has sort of fallen down for 
for manufacturers on that that side of like how do you charge it and i think they've recognized this like it's one thing to get people to buy the cars and always have the home charging options but then when you're out and when you're going places that infrastructure needs to get built up before the cars are truly going to be successful and the tech is there with fast charging to make it relatively quick uh it's still not like the five minutes it takes to fill the tank but it's getting better But if you combine it with those other activities like getting your groceries right. i mean you know, you go to the grocery store, it's going to take you 20, 30 minutes, yeah. you know, typically yeah. To, yeah. to do your week's grocery well, shopping. And range. And 20, 30. Yeah. Yeah. Like range honestly isn't that big of a deal. You, you're never using yeah. the full range or not. I'm not saying never, never, but you're generally not using the full range of your EV in a single day. So. Right. Right. And you've got to, the, the thing that we've talked about before when we've had EVs is you've got to make it convenient. Yeah. Consumers gravitate towards convenience. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, even yesterday we talked a little bit about uh, the length of the, of the, of the cord, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's got to have a longer cord. You've got to be able to have that kind of adaptation. And then what does that do for the vehicle itself? You know, retractable systems, opportunities for retractable systems, things like that. Um, the EBGO, I think they are doing Chatmo and CCS as well. So, you know, they've got so they've got a good strategy here. But you've got to keep in mind that consumers just gravitate towards convenience, and so you've got to give them a reason that this is a better solution than an internal combustion engine than than all those gas stations. Mm-hmm. You know, that can chart that can fuel up 10, 15, 20 cars at a time in five minutes. Right. <laughs> you know, that's your rate limit. That's, that's, that's yeah. your metric. That's, that's the key is to, you know, to overcome that, that friction um, yeah. and make it, make it as seamless as possible. And that's why, yeah, you know, exactly. we're also seeing manufacturers, um, you know, not just invest directly in the infrastructure, like what GM is doing here, but also doing the aggregation and enabling roaming, you know, providing a single interface, you know, Ford doing it with Ford pass um, for their EVs you know, where you're going to have access to multiple networks through a single interface. You just plug in your car, it charges your Ford Pass account, whatever card you have tied to your Ford Pass account. You, um, you know, VW last week announced um, their WeCharge system. Same basic idea. You you buy a new uh, VW Group EV, you'll get this WeCharge card and you can tie the different accounts to that and you don't have to manage all these different accounts. They all get charged through one interface. GM's doing the same thing through OnStar. So, you know, those sorts of solutions will help to uh, minimize the the friction. So, you know, as you're talking, though, it strikes me that um, we're still leaving out a lot of people here. Oh, yeah. Because you need to be able to afford it first. Mm -hmm. You need to have a device, smartphone. You need to be able to tie it to a credit card. Um, And you need to be able to afford it all. Uh, so there's that whole bottom third of the market that, you know, if you're unbanked, you still need a car, right? So you, you have a cheap beater. Well, the the truth is if if you're unbanked, I know you're not probably not buying a new car. I I know because we're only talking about 5% of the population that buys a new car every year. I know, I know, but it's just like, it strikes me like we're still talking about the the sort of play things for the wealthy. Um, right. And, and, you know, no, for five percent. Yeah. Well, they, they, and you know, they they are they are thinking about these these challenges. So, like, how um, do you do it you with know, cash? I, we have we have these conversations with them all the time. They're they're trying to figure that out, and you know, but that's you know, that's like step three, four, five 
you know, yeah. they, they need to get, you know, to the, the first thing you need to get to the people that actually are buying new cars. Absolutely. No, it's like, just keep going, but think about it. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. No. And they are to their, to their credit. They are thinking about, you know, how do we handle that? And I think, you know, part of the solution there is, you know, like for the unbanked as an example, you know, you're going to, you're probably going to sell, um, you know, cards, you know, like, like you go into a Walgreens today and you've got this, this wall of all the gift cards yeah, from all the, the different retailers, card, yeah. you know, You'll go yeah. in and, you know, I mean, you can go buy a, a PlayStation uh, network card, you know, for 20 bucks, you know. And so, you know, if you're unbanked, you know, you're going to go in and buy, you know, an EVgo card or, you know, an Electrify America card for 20 bucks. And you'll have that and you'll, it'll charge to that, you know, at some point down the road when you're driving a used EV. Right. Yeah. And but they're even talking about, about making Uber and Lyft vehicles electric. So you don't even need to buy a car. Yeah, you know? that's, so, that's going to be a lot more of a challenge but, because Uber and Lyft don't own their vehicles. Yeah, but, uh, it is, but in terms of recharging and, yeah. and in terms of making transportation accessible. Yeah, but yeah. so Uber and, and Lyft know, to, still, to those like, that's still a product for somebody who is at least wealthy enough to have a smartphone and a credit card. Like, yeah, but it can't. But Dan, I mean, you can't solve. I, no, I know. The, I'm no, not looking at mobility the, to the everybody. Is, is at least at least <laughs> smartphones have become pretty ubiquitous. You know? Yeah. There's a lot of homeless people that have smartphones. Yeah. You get a prepaid smartphone. You know, I mean, they're, they're fairly cheap and you can get pretty cheap smartphones, not an Apple, not an iPhone, mind you. Right. But you can get, you can get a lot of really cheap smartphones and, you know, you prepay, you know, you buy the prepaid cards. So again, there's, there are solutions to that. It's, it's not easy. And, you know, we'll have to figure out ways to make that more seamless, but, you know, we'll, we'll get there. I'm a man of the people. <laughs> I think about those, those things. Yeah. No, that's good. And, you know, we need to do that. We need to think about that stuff. Um, especially with EVs, like once they start to get into the used market, then, then you got to think about, okay, okay. It's great when it's brand new and you have access to all the features and, and all of the, the network and all that. But then when it's a 10 year old car, how does that work? And, yeah. and, you know, cause it's still going to be viable. And, mm-hmm. you know, how does, how does somebody get the use out of that? Um, Cause in 20 years, there's going to be a lot of used EVs on the road. I hope. Yeah. Why don't we jump to the, the, uh, the listener mails first up uh, from Chuck Davis. Uh, Chuck listens. He hears me on uh, Leo's Leo Laporte's tech guy show. Um, he grew up in Bay city, Michigan, which by the way is where my wife is from. Uh, but uh, he's been out West for many, many years. We do get back every other year uh, to the Detroit area to visit family, and he has a comparison question. Mm. I presently have a 2014 Acura RDX, which I love. Um, I'm getting ready to change, and I'm not crazy about the trim level and the four-cylinder engine on the 2020-2021 RDX, the new one. Uh, I really like the styling of the Cadillac XT4 and 5, but I'm having a real problem deciding. I think the RDX may be a better engineered car if you've had a choice uh had to make a choice between your those cars which would you choose hmm. so rdx new rdx uh cadillac xt4 or xt5 i, I know what i would choose i want, I want to see what you guys what? Would choose rebecca i know i want to i want to hear dan <laughs> okay uh rdx uh the tech is not as good the the xt4 has has better tech but um i think the xt4 went a little too much toward sport and not uh you, uh comfort and function and utility um and it's got that that 
engine. <laughs> I yeah. like drive them because I did really like driving the XT4. It drove really well, but it it makes sacrifices for that that I think um, the the average buyer might want more of what the RDX does than what the XT4 does. Rebecca. So thinking about him in the 2014 Acura RDX and then jumping to a 2020 or 2021, that's a, that's going to be a, a big difference mm-hmm. from a technology standpoint. So that's a big difference. I, I really do struggle with that, the RDX technology and that can be very frustrating because the vehicle itself is great, but that technology is difficult for me. I I have not driven the XT5. It is I I am on the schedule, and I only spent a short time in the XT4. I remember seeing the XT4 at the at an auto show and being pleasantly surprised when it actually came out. Because Sam, to your point a while ago about the cars that we get, the, the pre production XT4 was not nearly as good as the new the interior and the quality of the interior as the new XT4, but the one that actually came out. But again, I haven't spent enough time in it to really comment. So my concern just with the RDX, first of all, I think to address is, is direct question of a better engineered car. I think that they're probably pretty comparable because there's very few poorly engineered cars these days, but I can't really say enough about it. I would absolutely encourage Chuck to spend time with both of those cars on the test drive, set up your phone, make phone calls. Your test drive is your time. Don't feel pressured by the dealer to hurry that process up. Spend time, especially when you're going from a 2014. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and so let me see. So he's, so I'm clear, he's considering... He's got a 14 RDX now, okay. and considering the new RDX, the XT4, the XT5. Okay, yeah, I haven't also. I also haven't driven the XT5. I feel like the XT5 is a closer analog to his current RDX. I agree. Size wise, yeah. um, the the XT4 is actually closer in size really? to the RDX. Yeah, the really? XT4. The XT, XT5. I think of the XT4 is, is small. Yeah, it didn't feel all that big. And the RDX is not that big. Okay. No, it's not. You're right. Um, you could also, uh, if you're going to spend RDX money or XT4 money, consider the passport, um, which is another option. You're already in the Honda family. Yeah. Um, but, and you, and you might like the infotainment better in the passport. Yeah. Um, I really liked the XT4. I I did, but I I think it's got some, some compromises that you, you need to go and, and try it out. Yeah, my my main complaint about the XT4 was just the the NVH. Yeah, um, you know both the engine noise and and road noise on on certain roads. Um, yeah, it drives really yeah. well. Um, it looks you know, great. It, it's fantastic. It looks great. Yeah. You know, it's it's fairly roomy. You know, for for the size class it's in, uh, which is about the same as the RDX. The XT5 is a little bigger. It's been a couple it of years is. since yeah, I drove right. the XT5. Um, you know, but they're they're both two row utilities. Um, you know the. I love driving the RDX. I am one of the few that is not as um, turned off by the touchpad system they have in there. Just not right. <laughs> <laughs> you might, you'll probably get used to it as an owner. But, you know, I, I would, I, I agree with the, both of you, you know, absolutely take some time, go drive it, go drive all three of them. Um, you know, take your phone, you know, set it up for, you know, Android auto or CarPlay, whatever you, whatever you use. Um, 
you know, play with it while you're driving. <clears throat> and, you know, and particularly the X-T4, you know, try to take it around on a variety of different road surfaces and see how you feel about the way it sounds. Because it, dynamically, it, it feels really good. The ride quality is fine. You know, it, it handles well. It uh, does look great. Um, but, you know, whether that road noise turns you off or not, you know, is, is a very subjective thing. So, you know, make sure you try that out if you can. You can also, um, I don't know that you can get the RDX with adaptive suspension, but you can get the XT4 with it if you want to pay a lot. So, yeah, well, that, and that's the other thing with the RDX um, and the, and the XT4 for the same level of equipment, the Cadillac is actually quite a bit more, at least sticker price is quite a bit more expensive. It's several thousand dollars more um, because yeah, the but I Cadillac think really nickel and dimed. But you you can probably haggle that price down closer to the yeah. price of the RDX. Yeah, I think so too. All right. Next one from Mike Cairns. Um, really enjoyed the show and look forward to it. We're looking for an SUV to be able to tow a bass boat that weighs about 3,500 pounds with surge brakes. Also, a utility trailer that has maximum weight of 3,000 pounds. When researching the Kia Telluride and the Hyundai Palisade, um, and by the way, Mike, it's a Palisade singular, not Palisades, uh, <laughs> but minor quibble. Um, we ran into what I think is some odd specifications. It states that it has a 5,000-pound towing capacity, but the tongue weight is 351 pounds. If you tow a 5,000-pound trailer with 10% tongue weight, um, it would be 500 pounds. So it, basically, the, the tongue weight is the, the weight that's actually pushing down on the, the, uh, the hitch. Um, so you're not getting the full weight of the trailer being supported on the hitch. They generally, you know, they recommend no more than 10% of the total weight being on the, <clears throat> on the hitch. Um, so continuing along, uh, also the maximum towing capacity of trailer without brakes is 1,650 pounds. We called Hyundai and they said, we have to ask the dealer. They were not able to help. Would you be able to clarify this? And also what SUV would you recommend? So I reached out to both Hyundai and Kia uh, this past week. And um, it turned, you're, you're right. Um, you know, 351 pound tongue weight would translate to a 3,500 pound trailer, not a 5,000 pound trailer. Uh, and it turns out that that was a mistake in the owner's manual for both of those vehicles. Um, it was corrected back in January in the Telluride owner's manual. It now says 500 pounds. Same for the, uh, or it, it was done a little later for the Palisade. So the, the maximum tongue weight for both of those vehicles is 5,000 pounds. So if you 500 have pounds. Trailer, <laughs> 500 pounds, if you have, <laughs> it, yes, it's not, it's not a, you know, a, a Ford F450 or front wheels off the ground. Um, <laughs> uh, so if you, um, you know, if you, if you have a trailer with uh, trailer brakes on it, which uh, sounds like at least your boat trailer does, um, it's not clear if your utility trailer has trailer brakes, but, um, you know, and this is typical for, you know, pretty much any vehicle you're towing. Uh, if you're, um, you know, you, you, the, typically the maximum tow rating is based on a, a vehicle on a trailer that has its own brakes, uh, as opposed to a trailer that's unbraked. It's always going to be lower for an unbraked trailer. So if you have a trailer with brakes on it, you get 5,000 pounds and a 500 pound tongue weight. If it's, um, you know, an unbraked trailer, it's going to be 1,650 pounds. That's it? Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's for safety reasons. You know, when you're towing that much extra weight, you know, behind you, if you don't have brakes on the trailer uh, that are controlled from the vehicle, then you're, you're going to have much lower 
trailer uh, tra- hmm. towing capacity. That's, nice. that's the way it is for everybody. Um, and, um, you know, as far as what other vehicles, what other SUVs we would recommend as alternatives, you know, certainly, you know, for your boat, they, uh, you know, both of these can, can handle what you've got. Um, do you have, you guys have any other suggestions for good three row utilities that, uh, for towing? Durango. Yeah. <laughs> It's not yeah, as Durango is an excellent choice, especially as, with the Explore, V8. Yeah. Explorer. Yeah. Explorer is probably uh, yeah. pretty good to you. Um, yeah. Explorer, Explorer with the three, five eco boost will do 5,600 pounds, 5,000 with the, the four cylinder and 53 with the, uh, with the hybrid. Yeah. I think that, the, I mean, basically we're talking about a truck base. Well, yeah, the, the, those, yeah, well, yeah, not necessarily. The, what is not, the actually, not, Neither is Durango or the, right. or the, uh, yeah, the, or not the Explorer what is the, are, they're both unibodies. What are the, what is the Traverse do? The Chevy Traverse. Traverse, I, I would assume the Traverse used is to be like fifteen hundred. Used to be th- <laughs> used to be forty five hundred. I'm not sure. Really? I think it's still forty five hundred. I'm impressed with that. Usually, because yeah, yeah, those are the two the the Durango and the Explorer are the ones that stick out as being better towing SUVs that aren't truck based. Because um, yeah. otherwise, if you if you're towing a lot, like yeah, you're probably looking at maybe something like a Forerunner. I don't know what the Forerunner tow rating is, but since that's also truck based, it's probably decent ish. Um, the Durango, I think with the V8 can do like 7,200 pounds. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Cause then you're and, getting and the up Grand to Cherokee like the Chevy Tahoe. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the Grand Cherokee. Grand Cherokee, yeah. Grand Cherokee Trailhawk will tow 7,200 pounds. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, the Hellcat. That would yeah. be my choice. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, n- none of those are that efficient though. Like that's, that's no. the thing. If you're looking for efficiency, the, the, probably the next best bet would be the, uh, the Explorer hybrid. Yeah. You know, it'll, yeah. it's got good towing capability and, you know, it's also pretty efficient in normal driving. All right. One more last one real quick. Um, my, uh, this is from Lane Sykes. Uh, my wife and I are in our seventies, uh, living in South Lake Tahoe. We have the four by four, uh, snow co- requirement covered with our low mileage, 2004 BMW X3. We live in Baja during the winter and only see snow on cameras. <laughs> we, we would really like a four door sedan that is comfortable to drive and has all the latest safety and tech features. I'm a geek and love all the extras. Budget around the mid $35,000 mark. Mazda 6, Hyundai Sonata, or? Mm. I'm going to go with the Sonata. Really? Um, let's see. $35,000. Or uh, the Accord? Yeah. Accord's a good choice. Um, Camry's, Camry's good, too. Yeah, Camry's good, too. The tech in those is sort of... Uh, yeah, that's true. The, true. the 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 Accord, the Accord, or the Mazda, or the Sonata. Um, the the Sonata is probably the most modern of those, um, and the the Accord's good too. I just feel like the Sonata, you know, because when we think about tech, also, it's not just the infotainment system; it's all the safety features, also. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if well, you're I in mean, your that that's the thing about this segment. You know, the these these sedans. Um, Pretty much all of them now have all those safety features as standard equipment, even on the base. Yeah, but models. some have more or at least available. And I feel like no, that. That's pretty, uh, you know, it's pretty um, common across all of them that you're going to get lane keeping assist, adaptive cruise control, blind spot monitor, um, you know, auto headlight, auto high beams. You know, I um, just, I felt like the Sonata was a really good package. Hey, well, yeah. you know, here's, here's one thing. I, I don't disagree. I think the Sonata is, is, is uh, fine. Um, you could also get yourself a Kia Stinger. Okay. That's actually an outstanding choice. <laughs> and you can get one, you know, base Stinger in that price range. 
Yeah. Um, they, actually, you could of- probably get a better than base stinger and, and haggle the price down because they don't sell all that well. Yeah. And it's a hatchback. I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good time. And it's just roomy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Dan wins. Yes, stinger. Uh, <laughs> uh, otherwise, I the think it'd be fun to watch, to watch them get in and out of it. Well, the, uh, the, the six would be my other choice. I like the six, um, but the Kia Stinger is a little more esoteric choice. So. Yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> nice. That's it. We've done it. We've done another podcast. I'm going to go turn the air conditioner on again now, so it's not so steamy. And uh, <laughs> Why do you turn it off? Oh, because it makes noise. It's loud, yeah. <sighs> not okay. all of us live in you know, climate controlled. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I'm getting there. But you're a man of the people. (laughs) That's right. I'm a man of the people. I need to suffer for my art. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, all right. Uh, In between now and the next time, send us your thoughts and questions and we'll, uh, we'll answer them. Uh, Otherwise uh, we'll see everybody on the next episode. Thanks everybody. Bye. Thanks everyone. Bye. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.